Hi there. Sorry, I have a, a question for you. Um, I wanted to order some some pizza to take away, but I don't have any cash on me. I was actually wondering if you guys accept Bitcoin. What's that? Oh, it's a digital currency. You can you buy it through the internet. Oh, uh, I don't know. Give me one sec. Yeah, no worries. Hello, what's a, what's a Bitcoin, mate? Hi, it's a digital currency. Nah, we don't deal with that, sorry. I'm Shane Anderson and welcome to Think Digital Futures. Let me lay the scene. It was a Thursday night, one of those nights where all I wanted was somebody to bring me a pizza. I was just wondering, I don't have that much cash on me. I was wondering if you guys accept Bitcoin? Um, I'll just go ask, I'm not quite sure. Okay, no worries. You take your card, no problem. Oh, what about Bitcoin? Silver coin? No, no, Bitcoin. Coin? What does that mean? Lady on the phone talking about Bitcoin and stuff, and I've got no idea what she's talking about. Sorry, we're not doing that at the moment. Bitcoins? Yeah. No, no. A friend of mine was um, that was working here. Um, I know he was trying to do something like that, but no. For all the buzz about Bitcoin ushering in a post-currency world, I ended up paying in cash. Which is weird, because for the last couple of months, hype for Bitcoin has hit fever pitch. The cost of a single Bitcoin has shot up, and right now it's worth more than gold. But still, hardly anyone outside tech circles has actually heard of it. How can cryptocurrencies be the future of cash when it has such little practical value? The utopia of those that believe in cryptocurrencies is that they're going to displace cash. This is Chris Duckett. He's the APAC editor for ZDNet, a technology news website. He says the first thing you need to know about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that it's not really a currency at all. The better way to think about Bitcoin rather than about the fiat currency... Fiat currency being cold hard cash. ...is it's almost like carrying around gold, almost, in that the price of it one day could be worth $2,000. The next day it could be worth $3,000 for no other reason than the market decided that sort of thing, right? If that sort of fluctuation happened in a real currency, countries would fall. So far, Bitcoin won't put food on your table, and if it was widely adopted, it could sink a country's economy. Straight away, this limits the impact of Bitcoin outside the digital sphere. Basically, you don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow to find your wallet is full of waste paper and cryptocurrencies have taken over the world. So what value do cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin actually have for us? What can we use it for? To understand this, we're going to need a little bit of a refresher. How did it come about? Who invented it? Yeah, well, that is one of the big questions. There was an Australian about 18 months ago called Craig Wright who claimed that he invented it but couldn't actually prove it. Although he did manage to convince a couple of journalists. But Bitcoin is currently credited to a shadowy figure called Satoshi Nakamoto. That's a pseudonym for someone. But basically, Satoshi wrote a bunch of papers describing, basically, he wanted to take control away from governments. He achieved this using a thing called the blockchain. Basically, it's just a public ledger. And what that allows is for uh, anybody to see any of the transactions that have happened on Bitcoin. This is a very simplified definition of the blockchain. 
But basically, this digital ledger is the thing that is decentralizing the power of banks. And blockchain has so much potential that the CEO of IBM was even recently quoted as saying, what the internet did for communications, blockchain will do for trusted transactions. A lot of industries are excited. Bitcoin is the app that proves that blockchain does what it promises it can do. This is Dr. Pip Ryan, barrister and lecturer at the University of Technology, Sydney, and cryptocurrency junkie. She says that Bitcoin was really the first use of blockchain technology. There were iterations of what blockchain might have looked like before July 2009 when Bitcoin was released, and none of them had been as successful, and none of them had all the protocols that were necessary to make it work the way that that particular blockchain network works. Blockchain is complicated, but luckily you don't have to understand the intricacies of nodes and hashing to be able to use Bitcoin. In fact, it's not actually that hard. First, you need a Bitcoin wallet. It's actually a piece of software, I guess you would say. It's a virtual locker, basically. You can download a wallet online. It's just like a real wallet, except instead of worrying about losing it on the train, you just have to worry about it being hacked. Then once you've got that, you have two options. So Bitcoin is traded in these things called Bitcoin exchanges, funnily enough, which is like a stock exchange. You say, I want to buy XYZ number of Bitcoin and someone will sell it to you. Or if you want to go full cryptocurrency anarchist, you can go get Bitcoin off the street. You can just walk up to someone you know that's got Bitcoin and, you know, you can say, I can buy some from you and then you can, that they will start the transaction. So with a little background understanding of cryptocurrencies, buying it isn't that hard. In fact, the buying process is probably the easiest part of cryptocurrencies. It's so easy, everyone is doing it. And this is why you might have heard it in the news over the past couple of months. It's called the Bitcoin boom. Now, there's always going to be fluctuations in currency, but this year has been different. The price of Bitcoin has skyrocketed, or as the people in Silicon Valley for some reason prefer to say, the price has moonshot. It's trading at about four and a half grand Australian. For one Bitcoin. For one Bitcoin. Bitcoin's actually done those, maybe not that high, but it's had these peaks and troughs before. Uh, and, you know, on, on the way up, everybody's like, we're heading to the moon. You know, and inevitably there will be a crash and it gets a little bit more sanity put in. And it's not the only cryptocurrency having a moment. Technically, anyone can create one. So there's no limit to the number of digital currencies that can be in circulation at any one time. The other one that's been very successful is the Ethereum project, and ETH is their currency. Pip says that even though they're fundamentally the same thing, Ethereum is kind of ahead of Bitcoin at the moment. So if you're on the Ethereum blockchain, that's separate to the Bitcoin blockchain, it's different, and it's had a much higher trajectory both in volume of trade and also the value of that particular cryptocurrency. So at the moment, that's sitting at tens of billions of dollars in just over 18 months since it was released, whereas for Bitcoin to have got there, it took years. It's an exciting time for cryptocurrencies, and it's probably even more exciting if you're one of those people who jumped on the train early. Um, Do you have any Bitcoin yourself? I do, I do. Yeah, in various forms, actually. Um, So I have a virtual wallet with some Bitcoin that I purchased in December 2015. And then while I was at a conference in China last week, a co-panelist gave me a tiny little piece of plastic with a gorgeous bit of Bitcoin in there, which I looked up and I think is worth about $4. And you could potentially be like a millionaire one day off that. Yes. And for those who aren't so lucky... 
you're probably experiencing something similar to Bitcoin regret. I remember seeing it when it was half pennies and whatever and thinking, oh yeah, that'd be fun. And then by the next time I you know, really thought about that again, it was a couple of hundred bucks and I thought, I've probably missed the boat on that. And looking at it now, I've missed the boat again. But before you rush out and buy Bitcoin thinking better late than never, being rich in Bitcoin doesn't so easily translate to being rich in real life. And there's a few ways that you can win big or you can get stung. And one of the problems is that when you bring Bitcoin into the real world, it's tied into a real currency. You know, you could pay for your $3 coffee in Bitcoin, but today it might be, you know, 0.0003. Whereas if you did that six years ago, it might have been 20 Bitcoin. On the surface, this doesn't seem too out of the ordinary, but this can create some strange situations. There's a great story online about a guy who paid for a pizza back when it was, you know, trading for cents, and he handed over, say, two, three hundred Bitcoin. Now, you do the math of that time, you know, for four and a half grand at the moment, and that's the story of the multi-million dollar pizza. The Bitcoin boom paints an alluring picture of overnight millionaires, and everyone loves a get-rich-quick scheme. But according to a pretty much unanimous jury of economists, as well as the laws of physics, what goes up must come down. Do you think it is a bubble? It definitely looks like a bubble. It smells like a bubble and it quacks like a bubble. So it's a bubble. As in, it's something that gets bigger and bigger until one day it pops. We've seen plenty of these before. Anybody who's studied bubbles will be familiar with tulips in Holland in the 1600s and then the South Sea bubble in the 1700s in England and then you can look at the really big one, 1929, and then we even have the GFC in 2007-8. Bubbles form when something becomes really, really popular. Demand goes up, supply goes down, and the price rises. What leads to the bubble is not the increase in value of anything in particular. It's the speculation that the value will increase. And that's what's driving the price of Bitcoin up. Like Pip mentioned, the most famous example of this is the Dutch tulip bubble from the 17th century. Tulips were such a hot item that people were trading in phenomenal amounts of money, with a rare bulb selling for more than what would be a thousand Australian dollars. It costs more to buy a tulip bulb than it did a house. Clearly, this is unsustainable. And when the bubble finally burst, tulips had no economic value, and all the money and goods that hopeful Dutch traders had invested in the flower were all gone. If anything, the tulips had something a little bit more to offer, because at least you were physically investing either in tulips or speculating on the value of them. Yeah, you can't plant a Bitcoin. There's been some signs that the Bitcoin bubble could be coming to an end soon. Despite being innovators when it comes to blockchain technology, the Chinese government recently tightened their grip on Bitcoin. So on the 4th of September, they shut down all the ICOs, which are these initial coin offerings, and this is the release of new currencies into the market, new cryptocurrencies, and they're also cutting down on Bitcoin use. The price did initially drop, even though it recovered again in about a week or so. As of recording this episode, prices are currently stable, but in a market built on what is essentially human greed, could a setback like pesky government regulation be the beginning of the end? Do you think that it's inevitable that the Bitcoin boom will crash? Yes, I do. And I think that's because its use is not going to be as a speculative product. The history of human experience dictates that it must burst. All this talk of an inevitable crash might get investors thinking that it's probably time to swap chips for cash. This brings us to another tricky issue with Bitcoin. How could you convert it back into Australian dollars? It's not that easy. 
Theoretically, it is possible to sell your Bitcoin for hard cash, but people have found it particularly hard to do unless you're a big player in the market. Unfortunately, like all markets, with government or without, it always tends to work out in favour for the rich. This is because Bitcoin has a scalability problem, by which I mean there's a limit to the amount of transactions that Bitcoin can process per second, which is seven. Compare this to Visa, who can do about 56,000 transactions per second before its head starts to hurt. This is a problem. You're just layperson on the street. You want to cash in your quarter Bitcoin for some hard money. Meanwhile, there's something going on somewhere else where someone who controls a bunch of machines sort of wants to do a transaction worth, let's say, 10 Bitcoin. Now, that's probably going to get more sort of priority over your little transaction because the people that control the machines that verify the blockchain, they can sort of, you know, take a very small percentage as the uh, cost of their compute time. So they're more likely to do the bigger transaction. So we end up with the same kind of top-down approach to economies that turn people away from banks in the first place. When we combine the hype of the bubble with the inaccessibility, it starts to feel like Bitcoin isn't meant for people who aren't high rollers, people like you and me. Pip says that even though we might not be buying and selling huge amounts at Bitcoin exchanges, we can use it to do useful things like transferring money overseas. So let's say you're in Europe, you're in Germany, I'm over here in Sydney, and I want to send you some euro. In the traditional way that we would send that money, I would buy the euro with my Aussie dollars, you would receive it a couple of days later, and there would be fees at both ends for that transaction, and we would not get a good exchange rate on those euro. If the market did crash, unless you're in the middle of sending money to Berlin, you're not going to feel the effects of it, and it's unlikely to ripple out into the real-time value of the Australian dollar. At least, not for ordinary folk like us. But Pip says it could have an interesting impact on some sections of society. At the moment, there's a lot of data that says that it is possibly the biggest tax haven in the world now and that more money is parked in Bitcoin to avoid regulators than in any other location. So I think that's going to be a very interesting moment. What's going to happen to it as a tax haven? I'm pretty okay with watching a tax haven sink into digital oblivion. The problem is when people invest their life savings into a speculative market, it's always going to be a gamble. Bitcoin has the potential to make our day-to-day lives easier, but at the moment, its impact is still firmly in the digital world. So why should we care about Bitcoin? Pip says that we should care about it, not because of what it's worth, but for what it represents. It's very, very exciting that it's disrupting so many banks and making them rethink what the services are that they deliver and why people resort to an alternative if we're not satisfied with what they're delivering. And I think it just wakes the banks up a little bit to the fact that we can take power into our own hands if we want to. It's a very democratic way of dealing with value. But this brings me back to the beginning of the episode. If you can't buy pizza with Bitcoin, what can you actually get? Turns out there's an international directory called coinmap.org that helps you find places that accept Bitcoin. A couple of places I called at the start of the show were actually listed on that map, but when I called them, they had no idea what I was talking about. Well, it took a while, but I did eventually find somewhere in Sydney that accepts Bitcoin. His name is Harley, and he's a snake catcher. So if you ever have a snake in your home and you want to support digital alternatives to bank-controlled currencies, maybe give him a call. Hello. 
Look, I, I just wanted to give you a quick call. Uh, my name's Shane Anderson, and I'm a radio producer uh, from a show called Think Digital Futures. And yep. I was doing some research into Bitcoin, and I saw that uh, on Global Bitcoin Map that you guys accept Bitcoin as a currency. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been accepting Bitcoin for? Uh, actually, only about uh, two or three months. Oh, wow. So it's fairly new. Yeah, it's a new thing for me. It's, uh, it's something I've always known about. Um, I was actually offered Bitcoin by one of my very unsavory friends back in 2009 or 10, I think it was. Uh, back then, I could have bought 100 US dollars worth and I'd, I'd be a multimillionaire now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I, I sort of went a few times off and on as to whether to get into it and I've decided the currency's now stable enough that I'd like to yeah, let's stick with it. I think it's, it's good. I mean, it's definitely an odd combination, uh, cryptocurrencies and reptiles. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, for what it is, you know, people, for me, generally will pay with credit card and, and you know, that's, that's also works for me. But um, I'm, I'm more than happy for them to accept it, uh, for them to, you know, pay in Bitcoin. All right. And, and how's it been going so far? Like, have, have many people found you uh, through this website or have they paid with Bitcoin? Um, no, look, I, I have found that people are still a bit, um, people sort of know what Bitcoin is, or a lot of people know what it is, but they're a bit wary of it. I'm a snake catcher, so it's a bit of a weird trade to be in um, for Bitcoin, but the reason for me getting into accepting Bitcoin is um, just to basically you know, support the Bitcoin community and, and, and I support the cause. I, I like what Bitcoin stands for, and for me, you know, if you're going to be involved with Bitcoin, I think you've got to be involved in both ends. Fair enough. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with it. No worries. Cheers. You've been listening to Think Digital Futures. This show was supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SCR. For more information and to hear past episodes, go to www.2scr.com slash think hyphen digital hyphen futures. We're also a podcast, so you can download us from your favourite podcast app. And while you're there, leave a review. Thanks to Adrian Walton and Miles Herbert for your help with this episode. You guys are great. I'll be back next week. My name is Shane Anderson. Thanks for listening.